Hey guys, it's producer Steve. Before we roll into today's episode, uh, something I just want to share with you. We do truly love Matt. I promise in this episode, he was not relegated to some closet a mile away and forced to talk into a can instead of a microphone. Really? Like if you watch the video, you'll see he's sitting right there with us. He's talking into a microphone uh, like Lori and I. Uh, but, uh, for some reason, uh, once we got done with uh, recording the episode and we got into post, uh, somehow, I don't know, maybe his, his thoughts were just too deep and profound for the computer to be able to process. And so his, uh, audio file that was connected to his mic was obliviated. That's a technical term. Uh, and, uh, so we had no audio from Matt and video guy, Zach had the idea, well, maybe we could just pull the audio from one of the internal mics in uh, the cameras, which don't sound the best, uh, but at least it was something. So we went with it and we did our best to try to process it in a way that uh, made him not sound like, you know, closet mile away talking into a can, but it still has that quality to it. Uh, anyway, just wanted to let you know, we love him and, uh, we're going to just ask him to, you know, dumb his thoughts down a little bit for the computers moving forward. Just kidding. He's going to be as deep and profound as ever. We'll just, I don't know, maybe hope for a computer upgrade at some point. Anyway, sorry about that. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 198 identity series. I am befriended. Yes, welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast where we talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone every day. I'm your host, Lori Krieg, and I have alongside me my husband and favorite licensed therapist, Matt Krieg. Hey, Hey, Matt. (laughs) And I also have with us the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Hi, guys. You have a little competition today with the voice that we will be having on, but we'll get to him in a second. We are continuing our identity series, which the purpose of this identity series, you guys, I'm very passionate about purpose. I like to talk about where, where we're going in our podcast and where we're going with this series, but it's to help us know who we are in Christ so well, so deeply that we can walk into any room with confidence. And we are excited to specifically talk today about our identity as being people who are befriended by God and by people. And this, we want to, we're probably going to look a lot into adult friendships. Maybe you guys like me can struggle with uh, making friendships in adulthood. Uh, But we are going to have a friend who, I don't know, can I call him a friendship expert? We're going to call him a friend of a po- the podcast at this point, and maybe by the end we'll know if he's a friendship expert, but he is our friend, Sheridan Voicey. Sheridan, welcome. Hi, Laurie. Hi, Matt. Hi, Steve. Steve, I want your voice. I really do. So <laughs> whether I'm a friendship expert or whatever, you know, I've had all these years in broadcasting, but, you know, I can still yeah. get, you know, a little bit envious of other people's voices, and I want I, your voice, man. I'm fine with a swap. Maybe we could trade for a little bit, you know? <laughs> That'd be great. The accents would be different, wouldn't it? It'd be fun. <laughs> Who has, no, we don't have an accent. Is that what it is? Oh, I'm just right. kidding. No, I'm we're kidding. the baseline. Ah, oh, gross. I feel gross <laughs> no. saying that. All right, Steve, save me. Who is Sheridan? Yes, uh, a little bit more of an introduction. Sheridan is an author, broadcaster, and founder of the new adult friendship organization, friendshiplab.org. He is the author of 
eight books, including The Making of Us and Resurrection Year. He's a writer for the globally read devotional Our Daily Bread. Yeah, That's and like Rapids. it is. Uh, and he's a regular contributor to BBC Radio 2. There's where my envy is coming out a little bit. Uh, that's Europe's largest radio network. You can find him at SheridanVoise.com. Oh, yeah. Wait, what's the jealousy? You want to be on the BBC? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, don't we all? <laughs> Not because of that, but just the BBC. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. To get to know Sheridan and our listeners a little bit better, let's go around the question of the week from last week. And we'll start with Sheridan and move around. But the question is, if you were a cartoon character who wore the same thing every day, what would the artist draw you in? (laughs) Why are you shaking your head? Who comes up with these questions? I do. (laughs) Is it Matt? Is it Steve? Is it you, Laurie? Who is it? (laughs) It's usually a combination of Matt and I just Mm -hmm. like riffing at home. But you're welcome. <laughs> I do actually, I do actually love the question. Funnily enough, where it took me to is my my own inner kind of tension between the real Sheridan and the ideal Sheridan, because Ooh. I kind of thought, well, what, what, what would I like to be drawn in for the rest of my character's life that I would always be wearing the one kind of thing? And you know, there's been a part of me that's always wanted to be black, and part of me oh. really, really wants an afro, and part of me really, really wants dreadlocks. And so maybe it would be those things, but of course, those are not kind of that's not costume. Um, it certainly wouldn't be spandex. It certainly wouldn't be lycra. Uh, that would be very Incredibles, if you know what I mean. Oh, right. you know, oh yes, yes, yes. Bulges in wrong places and things like that. So, um, I'm thinking it would be the ideal version of Sheridan, which would actually be a lot more dapper than what he really is. That's a British word, basically, for looking schmick, uh, which I think is probably a Jewish word for looking cool. Uh, <laughs> I was like, schmick didn't help. <laughs> I, I got dapper, not schmick. Right. <laughs> so it would probably be, you know, doing the kind of really funky suit thing with the trainers so that you're kind of a little bit, you're very now, but you're still, there's just that kind of edge in which you would always kind of look kind of sharp for the years Wait, to come. Wait, but trainers, that's sneakers. Sneakers. Okay. Yeah. We will have uh, translations on the bottom <laughs> of the screen for those it, of us Americans. Google Translate going on as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> All I'm thinking is Ben Stein. I feel like he wore a suit and mm. sneakers. I was thinking Robert Downey Jr. Oh, I bet you like that better. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> no, Ben That's Stein, a he's a nerd. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. How about some listeners, Steve? All right. Well, I really liked uh, what Amy had to say here. If I was a cartoon character who wore the same thing every day, the artist would draw me in an Astro shirt and jeans. I'm from Houston and grew up going to Astros games with my dad. Now my husband and I are on a mission to see them play at every stadium. Wow. As for the bonus content, I don't have the tools to make a cartoon. So an astronaut in place of my head is all I could come up with quickly. Hence the artwork. Yeah, if you guys are watching this on YouTube, you can see a picture of, what's her name again? Amy. Of Amy in her Astros shirt and cartoon face. (laughs) Matt, who did you choose? Yeah, I really liked what Julie had to say. Hi there, my name is Julie and I'm from Grand Rapids. I would probably be drawn wearing an outrageously loud pair of pants (laughs) that are probably plaid patterned, accompanied with a shirt that I probably found in the men's section of Goodwill, that looks like something your grandpa probably wore maybe like 30 years ago. So, yeah. All right. Just go on straight Macklemore. 
I'm going to steal ah. your grandpa's style. <laughs> this one is more serious, but I would choose a more serious one. Mm. So let's go with it. I'm Kate from Holland. If I were a cartoon character, the artist would draw me wearing my navy blue watch on my left wrist and my dark brown leather bracelet that says El Roy in Hebrew that I wear closer to my hand on that wrist. I was gifted the bracelet by some sweet sisters in Christ the night God delivered me from self-harming, which I had hidden under my watch band. They intentionally put the bracelet on the same wrist I had hidden the self-harm. It helps me remember what God has done, and I am four months free from self-harming as of a couple of days ago. That's amazing. Yeah. I just really was like, thank you for your vulnerability. And just to encourage podcast listeners, you guys, we always say this, but we really mean it. You're the best listeners out mm-hmm. there, even superior to BBC Two. <laughs> uh, no, but you guys are are the real deal. And we appreciate that when we're vulnerable here, you guys are vulnerable in response. And it really can build up the church to keep running after Jesus. So thank you to everyone. Uh, if you want to be a part of the listening family, follow me on Facebook and Instagram. And you can also join our podcast Facebook page. If you search Hole in My Heart on Facebook, there's conversations happening there on the regular, which is really cool. So Sheridan, we're going to pivot to you. And we asked you this question the last time you were on, and I haven't mentioned this yet, but this is your second time on the podcast. We are going to link in the show notes to um, to your previous episode, which I mentioned before we started recording. That was one of our favorites yeah. in that season. Uh, so guys, definitely go check that one out. We really talked about when life doesn't go as planned, how do we keep moving toward Jesus and toward the church? Uh, but we really want to, for those, we've got some new listeners uh, with this partnership with WCSG, and we really want to hear the answer to this that we ask everyone. If the gospel is, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. How was that gospel first good news for you, Sheridan, and how is it still? Mm. I love that question because it has the kind of two-prong aspects, doesn't it? Um, how was it first? So the time aspect at the beginning, how is it now? I think like many Christians, the first aspect for the gospel for me was really just I needed divine forgiveness, and it's grown into so much more. So when that first message started to hit, it was as a result of me going along to church. My parents got me along basically to support my younger brother, who, I mean, there's about 12 years difference between us. So I was, you know, 18 at the time, and uh, and Tristan was you know, six, and so they kind of tricked me, and they said, you know, come along and support him in the Sunday school thing that he's going to do. Come and support him. Anyway, I came along, and some people befriended me there. I kept on going to church. I heard the gospel a number of times. Finally, one wow. night, realized I really need to ask for forgiveness for the sinful things that I have done. And I did that. And you know what? Immediately, there was no massive change. I knew something had happened. I knew it was was the right prayer that I'd prayed. I probably even prayed that prayer a couple of times. But it was later on when I was still wrestling with who I was. And at that stage, can you believe it? Maybe this should have been the answer to the question originally about the whole costume thing. I actually started (laughs) off in nightclubs. I was actually DJing in nightclubs. And I was... I was getting some experience. I was actually getting some success there. I came runner-up in a statewide DJ competition. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
and yet it wasn't fulfilling that hole in the heart. And when I heard the gospel, I kind of realized, well, there's got to be something more. And so I, I and so I, I received Christ into my life, had his forgiveness. Um, but I still thought that maybe I could still kind of keep on going in the nightclubs. Now, for some people watching, some people listening, that's actually a valid calling for you to be a person of faith in the nightclub world. It wasn't for me. And so there came a time where I was really having to wrestle with who was going to be number one. Was it going to be this mm. DJ career? Or was it actually going to be Christ? And wow. I came to a point. I'm almost embarrassed about it now, but it was the turning point of my Christian faith where I actually went and I destroyed my record collection, thousands of dollars worth, and I destroyed what now in many cases would be probably some really valuable records in terms of because there were limited run prints and things like that. But it was the breaking of what was a little mini God in my life. And when I did that, then my spiritual life really, really took off. And to answer your question for how it kind of affects me now, I now realize that actually our relationship with God does so many things. It's not just forgiveness of sin. It's that. But it's cleansing from sin. It's not just cleansing from sin. It's the restoration from the effects of sin. It's the rebuilding of us into the new image of God that we are supposed to take on. So that's the thing that kind of continues to baffle me in the most wonderful way that wow. the that redemption is so multifaceted and he is making us into new shining beings hmm. that's beautiful yeah well and then as you talk about that like redemption that kind of drawing closer like the, that it is drawing you into this presence of god and this relationship with god and it makes sense that the word befriended you know, is one that you would choose as a core Christian identity. Can you speak a little bit more into kind of how that befriending became a like, central focus? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I have to say that I think friendship is our most undervalued and overlooked relationship right now, mm. both in our culture and also in the church for a variety of reasons. Our culture focuses very much on romance and sexuality. Our churches focus very much on sacrificial love, agape love, as we know the Greek word, uh, or indeed family relationships, and friendship gets missed out by both. Now, here's a really interesting thing, is that up until, you know, maybe a thousand years ago, lots of people were talking about friendship, and now nobody talks about friendship, or very rarely anyway. But the great philosophers, Aristotle, Plato, they were talking about friendship all the time, saying it was the bedrock of society, saying it was a key identity for us. Cicero still has written some of the best work on friendship all of those hundreds of years ago. But Plato famously said, you cannot be friends with a god. And he was right, because friendship requires equality. And so the idea that then Jesus would come along to us in John chapter 15 and say, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends, is a profound theological identity statement. Profound. It means that he has come down to our level. He's come down to be equal with us, which is his prerogative, but boy, it's his sacrifice. And it means that then we can be friends with him because he's made himself equal to us, uh, which is a profound act of humility. This is Philippians 2. Jesus letting go of his glory that he had with the, with the Father and coming down to our level. Mm. So to be 
befriended by Christ, to be befriended by God, is a profound act of humility on Christ's behalf, on God's behalf, and it's a profound act of lifting us up for us. When we understand that we have been befriended by Christ, I think it really transforms us in so many different ways. Can, can you talk a little more about, I mean, you've obviously done a lot of research and study on friendship. We heard uh, some of the fruit of that, but like, how did you get to the place where you start Friendship Lab and and what what prompted, what motivated that? And, and what are some of the things, some, some more of the things that have been kind of the fruit of that? Well, thank you for that question, because uh, this, and look, that answer could be a three-hour answer. So, mm. you know, <laughs> jump in at any point <laughs> and say, enough, Sheridan, enough. <laughs> I was going to write a book about friendship. started about three years ago, and I wrote an outline. I'd done some research, and I had come up with, you know, a pretty good outline for a book, as we do in publishing. We come up mm. with an outline, started to write a, a, a kind of a sample chapter, and something was just stopping me going any further. It felt like there was a handbrake on the project. I went away on retreat. And can I say that going on retreat is one of the best ways to get clarity for your life. I went away on retreat and I really felt God kind of whisper to me that it wasn't anything else. It wasn't the devil. It wasn't uh, anything else. It wasn't my own insecurities that was basically pulling that project back. It was him because I was thinking too small. I had been thinking about writing a book on friendship and then, you know, how do you go about getting the book out and get pe getting people to read it? I felt the whisper from God that, that day. What if your focus became trying to solve the friendless problem? We have a huge friendship crisis going on in the Western world right now. Here in the United Kingdom, somewhere between 20 and 25% of, of, of all British adults. That's one in four, one in five people uh, have no close friends. Around about 10% of them, so one in 10 people that you're passing by in the street have no friends at all. That's roughly echoed in America. And in fact, in America, the amount of people who are saying that now that they have no friends has quadrupled since 1990. Now, we have huge rates of loneliness that is kind of a correlative uh, factor with this as well. Um, and I think people over the age of 35, there is something like 30 to 40 percent of people in America who are chronically lonely. We've got huge issues, and those are echoed everywhere else. Around one in four people in Australia have no close friends. So we've got this kind of 25 percent rate that's kind of floating around the Western world. 10 percent have no friends at all. And I've really felt God say, what if you were to focus on that figure and bringing it down? What would that mm -hmm. take? And then I realized, my goodness, a book would not scratch that itch. A book read, written by somebody like myself, read by a few thousand people, wasn't going to solve that. That would take something much bigger. It would take media campaigns. It would take collaboration with artists and musicians and videographers. It would take a whole cultural conversation. Uh, and it would take evidence-based courses, which is what we've kind of launched on with Friendship Lab, to really kind of get into the heart of, well, what is friendship? What is it not? How do we as adults learn the skills that we were never taught about both making and deepening friendship. So that's the short answer. That's the three-minute answer to the three-hour <laughs> question yeah. as to so how I've come to this point. I, and then I have the three-hour questions to, <laughs> to ask because I want to ask everyone it. that you I've threw out there. i all day. <laughs> well, uh, 
we will definitely send people to the Friendship Lab to learn more. But to to dive a little deeper, my eight-year-old recently, she'll I'll be talking with another adult and she'll say, hey, mom, is that your friend? And it's like maybe one of their their school friends' parents or it's a neighbor or something. And I'm like, uh, yes. Uh, like, I'm like, well, they're kind of an acquaintance. But yeah, I guess I call them a friend. So so for, you know, those statistics or maybe in your own verbiage, like how would you even define a friend? So important that we do this because many of us mistake friendship for other things. Mm. I was speaking to a guy just a few weeks ago who has just retired from a very successful uh, business career. And he said, all of the easy years I thought I had friends, I've actually only ever had colleagues and I've never known the difference. It's really important that we define it. So the definition that I work on, that we work on with Friendship Lab, is a friend is someone I can talk to, depend on, grow with and enjoy. I think each one of those four elements is really important. Someone I can talk to about the little things, you know, the football scores and the holiday plans and the big things, my deepest concerns, my regrets, my hopes, my fears, my joys. Uh, someone I can depend on. They're the people that we can call in the middle of the night when everything has gone wrong and they will be there and we will be there for them. Uh, somebody we can grow with. Well, that goes back to Aristotle. He talked about friendship being a school of virtue at its best. It can also be a school of vice as you know various movies can actually show us uh, uh what am i thinking in st straight away uh film and louise you know who just basically <laughs> keep on egging each other on to do worse and worse things so friendship can be a school of vice but at its mm. best it's a school of virtue and don't we have so many wonderful scriptures that say the same kind of thing that it's iron sharpening iron it is jonathan and david you know it is it is Jesus and the disciples. It is Jesus and Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. All of these people who sh we shape each other through our close friendships. And then someone to enjoy. Friendship is not friendship unless we actually have that enjoyment factor because you make me laugh or you find me engaging. Huh, it might even be possible. Or perhaps because we both <laughs> enjoy the same kind of moody European films like I like which have subtitles and everybody dies in the end, but they die so yes. meaningfully. So yeah, something <laughs> I know you, Laurie. I oh, know yeah. you're, a pretty, you're a deep and meaningful person like myself. I think we uh, could actually be very good friends. Yeah, we could. So those are the four elements of friendship. Mm. And I think you will also find those in John chapter 15, by the way, just putting that out there. Wait, how? Explain John chapter 15. Well, John chapter 15, Jesus is saying some wonderful things like, uh, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends, because everything that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you, I have disclosed to you, I have spoken to you, you have spoken to me, someone to talk to, mm. uh, someone to depend on. He says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Uh, what about someone to grow with? Uh, I have not called you, sorry, you have not called me, I've called you, uh, that you might grow together. I'm just trying to think about the actual verse here. Um, uh, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. So we're growing together. Mm. And I have told you this ahead of time so that your joy might be complete. My joy might be in you. Joy. Enjoyment. Mm. All of those factors are actually there in John chapter 15. I love it. So, so you can talk about that kind of intellectually and it makes sense to read it from from john 15 um i guess my question would be 
friendship is an experience thing, and how how have you seen kind of God take on those four qualities of like can you talk to Him, you can rely on Him, you can grow with Him, and that you can enjoy Him? Like how, like in a very just tangible way, you know, can you can you dive a little deeper into that? The great God of the universe says, "Come and commune with Me." Profound. This is Moses being called the friend of God. This is Abraham being called the friend of God when they are kind of invited up to the mountain to have one-on-one conversation with the Almighty. So the fact that we can even converse with God, again, is just profound. And so for me personally, that's the most, it's the essential aspect of my relationship with God and no doubt yours as well, is that we can kind of tuck away ourselves in a spare room and everything is difficult we can kind of quieten ourselves and we can just be present before god sometimes even using words that don't have words just simply being present so that he can read everything that's going on in our heart someone to depend on well we've those of us who've walked with with god for a, a few years will find that we we've, we've been able to depend on him we haven't always understood when he said yes or no but we can depend on him to be present and i've found that to be so true in my own life certainly as i'm launching friendship lab there are so many things daily that have to be dealt with addressed wisdom sought and he's giving it uh, someone to grow with the very process of being a christian is that we are being transformed into the image of his son Second Corinthians 3.18, you know, we with unveiled faces behold his glory and are being transformed into his likeness. Remember, increasing glory to glory. So we are growing by our presence with him. And that is something that, of course, is a, is a daily challenge. It's a daily call. Um, but we have the Holy Spirit who provides us with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control, all of those virtues that are the essence of us growing into mm. Christ-likeness, and someone to enjoy. I wonder whether sometimes we've missed this aspect out of God's kind of character and personality. Mm. Uh, there's a, a theologian, Matt, I'm sure that you know, maybe even you, Steve, as well, maybe you too, Laurie, um, named, um, and I've just forgotten his name, hasn't I? I've just <laughs> forgotten his name. He wrote a book. I'm just looking for it on my shelf here. <laughs> oh, German theologian. Oh, he wrote a book called Theology of Play. Come on, oh. somebody help me out. We'll pop it into the links afterwards when Sheridan has remembered it about midnight tonight when the recording is hours <laughs> over. Um, but he said, and I think you Jürgen Moltmann? Jürgen Moltmann. Thank you okay. very much. Jürgen Moltmann. Um, if you ever track down the book, by the way, it's a very rare book. Um, the first chapter is all you need to read. The rest of it is very tense. He's a German <laughs> theologian. He likes to kind of dense things up. The first chapter is all you need. And he makes this brilliant idea, brilliant point, that the, the all-content, self-content God never needed a universe. The universe is God's act of play. And so we, in being made in the image of God, called to then take on the image of God, are actually called to be people of play as well. And so we can enjoy him. Remember, the Holy Spirit gives us not just love, but joy. And so I think that's part way love that. Yeah. to answer your question. Wow. Uh, okay, so now maybe swinging to the opposite uh, viewpoint, I, I know... Uh, just in culture, we're moving away. I know in the UK, definitely increasingly in the US, we're moving away from 
having this Christian heritage, I guess, or a Christ-centric kind of worldview. We've got uh, post-modernism and I guess you could say paganism maybe, uh, you know, kind of growing. And uh, is your work, uh, does is it only work in, in the ministry context and with, with believers? Or are you working with people in the secular world just uh, to ad- address friendship? And, and how does your faith come into like those conversations mm-hmm. and, yeah. and how, how might we also be able to have those kind of conversations? Mm. Yeah. Well, the amazing thing is that friendship is what we, we would call in theological terms. It's a creation gift. You know, it's something mm-hmm. that is that God has bestowed on the whole of humanity, um, whether uh, the individuals in the various groups or tribes uh, or nationalities or ethnicities or whatever political groups actually recognize him as Lord. So friendship is a gift of common grace to all of us. So I can work on that level. Uh, Friendship Lab is officially um, kind of a a, a secular charity, but with a Christian Mm. heart, because I think that the gospel actually transforms friendship. But I want to have the uh, invitation and I want to have the conversation there that doesn't kind of say, well, you have to be a Christian to kind of come in and and, and be part of this. Um, but at some stage, we have to then start talking about, well, where does virtues come from? Because you can't be a friend without adopting virtue in some kind of way. Friendship will not work unless you are trustworthy. Friendship will not work unless you actually have a caring soul, if you have a genuine interest in somebody else, if you are willing to put in the hard yards to listen, if you are willing to hear maybe some difficult words being said back to you, some difficult questions being asked. All of that requires virtue. And I think what will be the challenge for a secular culture for both of our countries uh, will be in the years to come is where does virtue come from? Because, yes, there's a certain degree of virtue built into us because of the image of God, whether we're Christians or not, but we need something from outside, some empowerment from outside to, uh, to empower us to be good, to empower us to be people of love and joy and peace and patience. And, boy, we need patience and kindness and goodness and those kinds of things in friendship. So we can talk about skills we can talk about wisdom. We can draw from all sorts of wonderful streams going right back to Aristotle. Uh, but we also can draw on the Christian faith. Some of the best thinkers in history on friendship have been theologians. They've been Aquinas. They've been uh, various saints. Uh, Saint Ulred of Rivo, right from uh, this very country, uh, back in the 14th century, wrote one of the most defining books on friendship and is used in secular contexts as well, uh, called uh, uh, Spiritual Friendship, where he was really looking at, well, how do monks kind of navigate this thing of friendship? Uh, So we can draw from a whole heap of people, and thankfully, some of the greatest thinkers throughout time have actually been Christians anyway. Mm. Hmm. So if someone is listening right now and maybe has an edge of cynicism, and they're saying to themselves, or maybe aloud to you, well, we're recording. <laughs> well, good for you, Sheridan. You get to go study friendship, and you probably have your calling card is full of people who are calling you and wanting to hang out, And uh, but I have no friends. Maybe they really, they're, they're part of those statistics. And um, how would you go about encouraging them? Actually, I'm really curious. Would you encourage them to go make a friend? first, or if they're believers, would you encourage them to understand first how they are befriended by God? Mm. 
Two good questions. Two three-hour answers coming. <laughs> All right, we got it. Buckle up, buttercup. <laughs> Firstly, to a person who is in that situation, I would say I would like to take you back to a situation that I was in in 2008 where I was sitting in a seminar on fostering and adoption. This goes back to our previous conversation, which people can go and listen to. I won't go into the details. But my wife and I are wrestling for 10 years to have a child, never being given the answer to that prayer. We are still childless to this day. But during that process of kind of working out how we were going to be parents, we were looking into fostering and adoption. And we were sitting in this seminar, and this very straight-talking seminar leader said, fostering, adoption, it's hard, it's difficult, you're going to need a support network around you. Who can you call at 2 o'clock in the morning when everything has gone wrong? And I remember that my pen hovered above the worksheet because I didn't know who to write in. And it was at that point that I realized I needed to get intentional about friendship because, yes, I had some friends in different cities, but we just moved to the city we were living in, and I wasn't being intentional about keeping in touch with anybody. I wasn't being intentional about making new friends. So, you know, you're talking about the, the kid who in primary school would always be walking around at lunchtime to, to hide the fact that he didn't have a group to join. So first of all, I would say I have been there, and it's only because I've been intentional going back those 10 years or so that I'm not in that place now, but I feel it. I feel it. I feel that 25% of people who say they've got no close friends. Now, in terms of where you start to actually go about doing that, well, uh, you know, we've got a whole six-session course on that as to mm. how you go about doing that. But the first thing I would say is you need to develop a genuine interest in other people. A genuine interest in other people means that you'll be then inspired to think about some really good questions to ask that will open up conversation. We will look at three levels of question in the Friendship Lab course. So questions related to kind of what people like uh, and what people love and then what people hope for and start kind of working those kinds of questions into your conversations. Having a genu genuine interest in other people means that you're going to become a good listener because you want to hear what they say. Each person you meet, whether they're people of faith or not, is a universe of wonder and mystery and stories and experiences and failures and successes. And they have so many things to share with you. We just need to have that kind of interest in them to find out more about them. And once you do that, you'll find that you're developing trust, you're developing empathy, you're developing a certain sense of acceptance where people are saying, that person cares. I'd like to get to know that person more. So would you encourage a believer, like, you know, the purpose of this season is to be able to walk into any room confidently. So I hear your, I love the practical, but if internally they feel void of the friendship of God, how might they go about that part of building that God friendship confidence? Yeah. So, so this is a really good thing. So confidence comes up a lot in the literature and also in conversations when people just feel, particularly those, remember there's, there's two general groups of people and, and both, we all fall into these groups of, of people at one stage or another. This is the other thing to just mention really briefly. Hmm. This whole stigma around loneliness, stigma around friendlessness, everybody in the world, even if they just simply go and move house, will find themselves lonely for a period of time, need to make new friends. So we all go through this. We need to destigmatize it for the, for the first mm. part. But people who are in the process of wanting to find new friends, for some people, they find that shyness is an issue. 
and maybe a lack of confidence. So where does that confidence come from? Come from? Well, the gospel has a great answer to that. And it says that you don't need to try and find all of your meaning and all of your acceptance and all of the answers to all of your questions and all of your needs met in one person, which of yes. course can be way too much for that person to bear. And of course, is normally the reason why people walk away. It means that you've got a starting point. You've got a resource that is the most amazing foundation, the most amazing fountain of meaning and purpose and significance and security, which is a relationship with God. A relationship with God, by the way, which can never be taken away from you. Hmm. Sickness can't take away your relationship with God. Failure can't take it away. Success can't take it away. Death can't take it away. So you've got the security of your relationship with God in which he says to you, you are my beloved child. You've got that as the base. And out of that sense of security, then you can take little steps. You can do friendship experiments. <laughs> I think this idea, you're good at friendship, you're bad at friendship, I do have friends, I don't have friends, this binary approach to this is what we need to kind of let go of. Mm -hmm. Friend-making is a series of experiments. Try it, doesn't work, go back to the lab, do a bit of tweaking, find up another little experiment to do, rework the formula a little bit, go out and try it again. Works a bit better. Go back, learn, try it again. That's why we call ourselves Friendship Lab, by the way, <laughs> because I think friend-making and friend-tending is very much about experimentation, seeing what works and doing a little bit more of them. Um, as we're wrapping things up here Sher sheridan thank you so much uh for this time has flown I, maybe it was a three-hour podcast <laughs> I, I don't even know because this Probably has been was. so great Sorry. yeah that's all right that's all right um but we're kind of this season kind of ending every episode with the question why do you believe that an identity rooted in christ is vital for people right now in 2023 oh easy answer because without it, we're left to build an identity on one of two things, our career or our parental status. <laughs> That's basically the two options that the Western world gives us. Mm. Are you married? Are you a missus? Are you a mister? Are you a husband? Are you a wife? Are you a father? Are you a mother? And then what do you do for a living? Are you a broadcaster? Are you an engineer? Are you an artist? Are you a this? Are you a cook? Are you a chef? The problem is, in this fragile world, all of those identities can go tomorrow, sadly. Mm -hmm. But there is an identity that can never be taken away from us, and that is being a child of God, out of which all these other identities that you're experiencing and you're expressing and you're exploring in this series, including being befriended, all spring. So it is just so Love important, it. and that's particularly in this cultural moment, I really do believe. Hmm. Sheridan, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really been a joy. My pleasure. Love, love joining you. All right, guys, we are going to link to all of Sheridan's stuff, that friendshiplab.org. We're going to link to the episode we uh, had with him before that really impacted all of us, as well as his site. And we do have a question of the week for next week. <laughs> I just thought of this this week. <laughs> It's me, Sheridan, and I am the one who comes up with it. <laughs> and you, you do influence. Yeah, this one's definitely a you question. Uh, okay, what healthy food do you eat that makes you feel sad when you eat it? I can start, and then I want to hear from you guys, and then we want to hear from you listeners. So hit us up on Facebook, Instagram. Okay, here's my worst one, is almond butter. 
It is not the same as peanut butter. It tastes so bad. Every time I'm like, oh, I'm just going to have a nice little apple honey crisp with some uh, almond butter. It'll taste definitely the same. No. I am so sad, Matt. And I'm like, I don't even stink of care about these omega-3s and whatever. It's probably adding life. But it's adding sadness. So down with almond butter. What about you guys? Uh, I, I think I don't do this very often. Uh, in fact, I can't think of the last time I, I did. I think maybe I've only done it once. And that is like one of those no meat burgers. Like, oh, a, yeah. it's like a black bean <laughs> something. There's no meat. Yeah. The black bean ones are gross. Anytime a meal is brought, we, Kelly and I went to a restaurant. We're like, let's split something. And so she, I, I she, she wow. picked it. I didn't pay much attention to what she picked, but it was something that didn't have any meat in it. I was like, <laughs> we're here for dinner. Where's the... <laughs> Where's the beef? Yes. There it is. <laughs> anyway, I was I like, like the veggie burgers, but the bean ones are gross. There's like a solid whole oh. bean. You're like, why? Why There's do I want other the- kind of non-meat burgers? Beyond burger. I actually like oh. those. They're better. I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> I'm bringing them next I'm time. sad just thinking about they're, it. They're better than the bean burger, but they are okay. no meat Okay. Okay. All right. So, All right. Um, Ron Swanson over yeah, here. What do you get? What do you me, say? I would say um, yogurt. Granola. <gasps> you eat that every day. It makes you sad. Yeah, a little. Well, because the reason I ate it every day is like during my whole weight loss journey in the past year. Yeah. Know, that's my lunch. And so it's just a very sad lunch. It is it's a very is sad effective. lunch. It's an effective weight loss health management <laughs> thing for me. Yeah. The Hole in My Heart podcast does not condone <laughs> weight loss through <laughs> yogurt and granola. See small print for details. Anyway, guys, as we wrap up here, uh, just a reminder, if you want to watch this episode, you can go to wcsg.org slash all dash podcasts. And if you want to listen, I mean, just search wherever you get your podcasts. The majority of you listen through Apple podcasts. I've learned that through statistics on you guys. Anyway, if you uh, like what you hear, or even if you don't, we'd love if you write a review or share with a friend. Probably won't share with a friend if you don't like it. Um, But it helps others to find the podcast and sharing, we hope, really helps to advance the gospel. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you so much to our hosts, WCSG and the Zach of all trades. Video guy, Zach. That's right. I I only came up with that. You've never heard it before, Zach. Don't don't ever (laughs) tell anyone else that you've heard it. But that's it for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast. We'll see you next time. Mm